Straight Out of Gibraltar, sponsored by Coca Cola. Welcome to Straight Outta Gibraltar, bringing you interviews and all the best music from the Gibraltar music scene. If you like what we do, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash straight out of Gibraltar. Hey guys, welcome to Straight Outta Gibraltar. Of course, it's the first episode of March and we've been teasing it for a few weeks as to who our guests will be, but this time we changed it around a little bit. We're going to have some difference. Obviously, the, the availability of these particular gents has become available very, very soon, and uh, sooner than we thought even. So we're going to introduce them very simply, and we're going to introduce Jetstream minus Stu, by the way, who's actually not been able to make it. So welcome, guys. Hello. Hey. So how are we doing today? Very good, thanks. How are you? Eh, obviously, it's almost 8 p.m., so... Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> I'll leave that in, by the way. <laughs> no, we don't censor anything. We're not the radio, so we're, we're allowed. <laughs> so we're going to start very simple. Obviously, Justin was involved pretty much in the creative mind as to how all this came together, pretty much. And he obviously joined later, so did Tristan. But tell us how that happened, Justin. Uh, it just happened. <laughs> but um, I was in a previous band before with Stu. Uh, I think it was called Sabotage, if I'm not mistaken. And I was called out by Philip for one of these New Year's events. And luckily, Nolan was there. And just by, just, I mean, it was a gradual thing that came uh, through rehearsals. And I just got the idea of doing a band with Nolan. And that's how it just came about. Do you want to have a band? Yes, let's go. Yeah, and obviously, what we didn't, uh, Nolan didn't know that Dylan Federer was going to be a part of that band as well. See, correct. I mean, originally, he's like, oh, I've got a band. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We'll talk about it. Let's finish off this new year thing and we, we can talk about it. And then he's like, Stuart Whitwell on guitar, myself on bass, and Dylan Federer on drums. I'm like, Dylan on drums? <laughs> and obviously, I didn't know about it. Um, but it was a, a selling point as well for me. Um, and yeah, we just got together not long after. We compiled a long list of covers that we wanted to do, and, and that's how we kicked it off basically different to what I was doing because it's very nice and very enjoyable to do 
grunge or whatever it is, but you don't get anywhere. No. You have to have variety and let's face it, I mean, we just needed the change. You mentioned the words, the word that diversity is the key word. I always say to a lot of musicians, would you say maybe the, the fact growing up with your, with your dad who played all kinds of music has a lot to do with it? Definitely has a lot on my foundation because I'm a 90s child and although I love grunge and I, and basically it was a turning point in my life, my musical roots are the 60s and the 70s because that was rammed into me since I was born. <laughs> I can relate 100%. You're, you're probably the same though, right? You grew up listening to your father and... Yeah, yeah I was going to get to it. You used to play all different styles as in well. In terms right? of actually listening to a, to a live band, yes. In terms of listening to music at home, uh, I think he wasn't much of a music listener at home, just enjoyed playing it. And to be honest, I'm the same. Uh, the most music I listen to is in the car, on the radio or whatever. I don't avidly play a, an album from back to front or whatever. Um, so, yeah, definitely growing up with a, a, my dad as a musician as well, in rehearsal rooms since I was two, three years old, and listening to a variety of different kinds of music has also had an influence. I, I'm, I've got quite an eclectic taste in music when I do sit down, if I do find some time to listen to something, and it can be anything from 60s, 70s jazz, bossa nova standards to you know, more modern day screamo rock or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, swings and roundabouts, I guess, and um, whatever you want to, however you want to kind of, um, how, well, it's difficult to explain, but, um, but yeah, definitely an influence. And Aaron, you were doing something different at that time as well. You are doing Sugar Pump Ferris, but if I'm not mistaken about the point. I think around about that time, was it in 2008? 2008. was at the end of Sugar Pump Ferris, just basically playing punk, punk rock. Yeah. And all that. Um, and I was at the beginning of Metro Motel as well. Yeah. 2009, when I started with uh, what Did you use your influences quite a lot there? My influence have changed over the years. Yeah. Um, Unlike my, when I grew up, my parents didn't listen to any music. The most I can remember is We Are The World, being played in the car. For non For no, cassettes. That's the most I can remember. And then I started listening to Pantera, Metallica, <laughs> Sepultura. It's a good shift from You Are The World yeah. there. So. <laughs> that's why I wanted to listen to that. Uh, that's when I started playing guitar. Um, yeah, and then... It went from that to punk rock, to rock, to everything else in between. And what people not, don't really remember is the fact that you went about with Craig McDonald's once upon a time as well. Yes. Uh, with and Michelle Tewksbury as well. My first, as well. my first ever band yeah. was in school in the 93, 94. I remember it was myself. Knocking on Heaven's Door, Bayside's drama studio. That's right. It was Tristan, myself. Isn't that the Gibraltar National Anthem? Knocking on Heaven's Door. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Hotel California is the one. Hotel California. Close. But I think every musician wants to play Knocking on Heaven's Door one way or another. It's like that sign from Wayne's World, you can't play that song if you're, you're not allowed. That was my first ever live song I ever played, it's Knocking on Heaven's Door. No pressure. <laughs> on bass, yeah. yeah. He remembers all of me. Because I was there. Front row. <laughs> Front row. Craig's David. Yeah, David Dukes, I was there. Um, right. That was it. Yeah. Michelle as well. Michelle Tewksbury was later on. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was another year. We did Skunk and Hansi. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Little blast from the past at the right there. And Nolan, Nolan, you were too young back back then, so we're not we can't really dive into that too much. No, ninety three, you said. 
was about eight years old, I wasn't that was five, into so. music. <laughs> no, I wasn't, of course not. I wasn't into music or, or anywhere inclined. Like uh, Aaron said, my parents didn't listen to music or anything either. Um, and whatever my dad listened to in the car wasn't to my taste anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> and no, uh, Tristan, you mentioned your dad that obviously Justin comes from the same background. I can relate because I come from the same background myself. But what was it like to use your dad as a reference and an inspiration? Um, difficult at times because I always thought that he was, not because he was my dad, but I always rated him quite well as a super versatile drummer and um, always looked up to him. So there was, for me, the bar was set pretty high already. Um, he never wanted me to play drums, to be honest. That was a, a bit of a sticking point as well. But tried guitar, tried piano, tried all sorts of musical instruments. But it just seemed that the drums... Destined, no? Yeah. I remember Absolutely. back then I went to your dad's band room, remember? Yeah. <laughs> and how, do you, how do you think you rate compared to your dad now that you've kind of fully evolved if you're like... I'll never be as good as he is. No? <laughs> and you're just saying that because you're his son or because you truly believe it? Because I truly believe it. I truly rate the way that he did certain things. I, I obviously would practice him, but he had 50 odd years uh -huh. of, of playing. Um, my, my music. And he'll always have a, he's, he'll always have like 30 years on your <laughs> stuff. <laughs> my mom played when she was in school with the late William Gomez, the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. The, Mr. Uh, William Gomez got up a, uh, like a band of guitarists only, it was classical. And my mom actually played there, I think she was maybe 13, 14 or something like that. Well, well, I never knew that until later on. <laughs> <laughs> but one of those things, I think, William Gomez is very something, someone that we can be very proud of in sports, I dare say. Just same question for you, Justin. Pressure? Always. Tell us about that. Obviously, when you were younger, you. When I was younger, there wasn't any pressure, but uh, I could easily say that I actually, like I said, I grew up in this, in this musical ambience. And um, since I was a very small child, I used to, I still remember my dad taking me to rehearsals room where Jade rehearsed uh, where the youth club is. And I always had a fascination with drums. I always used to sit down and when I used to run in and just sit on the drums and just smack the shit out of it. <laughs> and then, oh, behold, I started playing the bass. But I think it was probably something gradual that came just by seeing my dad. And obviously, like, you see your dad like a rock star pretty much, even though it's only performing the local music scene, but you see them in different eyes completely altogether. My dad, for me, is the best player. So if you were to rate yourself, your brother and your dad from first to third, who's the best and who's the worst? My no one's taking out my Okay, well, more or less, obviously, I say my brother's the worst because he doesn't play. <laughs> but I will always be behind my dad. It's like Tristan said, my dad's got 30 years, or no, not even 30 years. <laughs> he's got less than, than, he's got like 20 years head start on it or whatever it is. But uh, I always look up to my dad. I always look up to my dad. Yeah, and obviously the fact that they came from a music scene, which was pretty much, uh, we, we take it for granted in every sense of the word, even though when the border was closed, it was still a very vibrant music scene. There was so, always something on everywhere, but not maybe as grand as it is now in every sense of the word. Where you, I think it was the best music scene and bigger than now. Yeah, yeah. It many people say the same thing. It was pure music. And obviously, even when you have the, not with your dad, obviously Tristan, same thing for you, but you obviously get to meet like fellow sons and daughters of those particular musicians. And if we, I spoke about it with uh, Roberts, with Bettis uh, about Jesse McLaren, and then obviously like Jeremy Bettis, obviously most of you ended up musicians yourselves. It's, it's the same thing, pretty much the circle of life works out yeah, in every yeah, sense of the word. I feel the same way, I think, and I think if you talk
talk to Jesse or to to um, uh, Jeremy. To yeah. Jeremy, they'll say the same thing about no. their fathers. Jesse thinks he's better than his dad. A little controversy right there. We can joke about it because we know them well as well. So yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, I suppose that just like you look, looked up to musicians of our parents' age kind of thing, they, they probably do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we all have different inspirations. Like, like I, talked about, I talk about it quite a lot and I, I, I always say it. And I mentioned it when we went to the 100 Club that if it wasn't pretty much for... Ren Sampeda and OC Stu involved with Mid of Crows, I don't think I'd be doing this, what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. It changed everything. Even though I had been around it my entire life with my dad and everything else, and Roberts and Jeremy, etc., I had never really focused on it as much as I should have when I was younger. But then when I got to like 15, 16 is when I thought, this is it, you know, that I'm intrigued and I want to learn more about local music and I'd learn about who the local musicians were. Lord and behold, it worked out to my advantage. And obviously we talk about Jetstream in particular, but obviously when you look back, what you guys did when you first started to pretty much to the start of the Toronto Music Festival in 2012, was there pretty much like an influx in the sense that everything changed when it was too much too soon because it became very popular very soon? No, I think because we started doing covers predominantly and we were doing covers that no one else was doing, we're doing a lot of indie bands like the Arctic Monkeys and the Killers and all of this, and that wasn't being done in Jib and a lot of kids slightly younger than us who were listening to that would start coming to our gigs. So we gathered a huge following very early on, which worked to our advantage, of course, in, in terms of garnering an interest. But I think we played it out too long. I think <laughs> we wasted, maybe it was meant to be, maybe it was our, our, our musical education, if you like, but we wasted too much time, I believe now in hindsight, playing covers. And every weekend covers, covers for like five, six years or five. No? And then one day, I'm like, guys, we need to start doing our own stuff. And I'd, I'd been writing on my own anyway. I just never presented anything to the band. And I presented two songs, which are Lala and Stand Up. I'm sure going to play now. And, and that. No, don't play it. <laughs> and, and, and that was uh, sort of the beginning to it all, no? where, where we all sort of got more our heads around doing our own stuff. And, and it's been that case since then. Whereas now, our own music is far more important than doing any cover gigs. Okay. And as, as you're well aware, we... We haven't been doing cover gigs for a long time unless it's been something I mean, that I, we need. I, I do agree with Nolan, but at the same time, I think if we wouldn't have done it that way, maybe we would have been here. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of learning that we've taken from thrashing out covers every week. Hmm. And especially like Nolan said, you can hear in our songs a bit of everything that we've covered. Yeah. And in every sense of the word, like when you... Get that call like when the Jaws Music Festival. See Jesse J. The noise were involved as well. Yeah, I remember getting that call. Cam. <laughs> so, but obviously, it, it all works out to your advantage. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that was a point where we said we need to kick it into fifth gear. Yeah, I, I felt. I, I may have said this before. The guys know it. I felt slightly not embarrassed, but it was a bit like you know what? It's a big stage. It's a it's a big platform. There's people here to come and see us. And we're doing covers. And it felt a bit like... Yeah, but one song and the rest yeah. was covers and it was a bit bittersweet, you know? <coughs> great platform yeah. and great, great thing for us, but we were just doing covers mainly. And yeah. Basically, I think that kicked us in the ass and the following time we were invited to play, we did the full set of, of originals. Yeah, and obviously, back going back to Lala in particular, did you expect it was going to be so well received at the beginning? At the beginning, yes. 
because it had that, that catchy feel yeah. to it. And it was very, uh, what, what, what do you call the tempo? Swing? Yeah. Very swing, whatever. And it's very, yeah, you can move to it. Um, but I'm sick of it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, we haven't played that song for, what, a couple of years now? No, a year maybe, no? no, no. You don't I mean, it hasn't figured in a long time. Last, year's song, last year's song festival. Is the MTV? Did we do that? No. Wow. no. Uh, at the cave as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't figure anymore, and no one's allowed to play it in the, the room. The, one, the ironic thing is, it's actually one of the cooler versions of the live and unplugged. The, the unplugged, yeah, it definitely gave it a more mature edge to Obviously it. Obviously, had Chris Cortez and Keith, so yeah, it can yeah, go wrong. And stand up, what can you say about that one particularly? Are you well, sick and tired of that one as well? Yeah, we still play it to this day. That was more uh, <laughs> from your Lala thing to, to like a political statement. Yeah. We, we, I felt more <laughs> reassured with that one for sure. And I'm, I'm not frightened of performing that one any day of the week. <laughs> but it works out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to play them back to back. Obviously, for people who may have not heard them, I think many people have, but... If the people haven't heard them, they're going to enjoy them for the first time. And if you actually did enjoy them back then, even better. So we'll be back in part two after this.
deny Terrorism's on a higher Skin color's a concern What's black is white and white is black Division needs to stop Whatever happened to equality The world is losing touch Let's join our hands and sing
We're back with part two, and obviously we played La La and Stand Up there by Jetstream. Aaron, we're going to start with something very simple, obviously, when it comes to you. Obviously, you did a lot of things whilst that, that was going on, but what was it like to pretty much see the scene change and grow? Obviously, there was more originals coming on onto the scene. Obviously, social media became more accessible in the sense where more musicians were releasing their own stuff, etc. Yeah, I was. I started doing our own originals with Sugar Plum Pavis. Yeah. We came up, I think we were, we were third or second in our competition we did. Yeah, I think about the bands. That's what the bands, yeah. And so I've been doing it ever since. And then transition onto Metro Motel, which was only originals. Um, and that's what I've been doing up to now, basically. <laughs> the covers, I, I started with, with them, with Jetstream, doing covers again. Um, and I, but I'd spent, it must have been about seven years without doing covers. Because after Metro Motel, I went on to cover 13, only yeah. originals as well. Um, and yeah. It's for me. It's been inspiring just to do originals ever since. I yeah. always enjoy covers because they are very, very fun gigs. Okay. <laughs> but, and it also changes your inputs, you know, as well. Like even when you're a band, a part of a band, like you mentioned with Sugar Plum Fairies, Cover Thirteen, etc. But you can actually voice your opinion as to maybe how can this work, or maybe this work, the chord will work better with this. <laughs> Some people take voice um, opinions differently. Um, oh. Basically, with Metro Motel, I got given the, the songs that we had, I had to do, and, and that's what I did. Just played the guitar parts on those songs, and that was it. Um, but yeah, I had, I had fun with them. It got a bit tedious at times, but it was fine. Um, and then with Kama 13, it was only originals, yeah. which I had a lot of input. I was given the songs anyway, but I was asked to change them to, to my style. So, so that was very, very, um, was an eye-opener for me. To get my own sound, to get my own my own way of playing, and we actually recorded those songs ourselves. So that gave me also the 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 input of actually recording songs. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, I've brought to the band now. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> one of Aaron's first um, things as a full time member of of Jetstream because originally yeah he just helped us out at one gig and then we decided to to take him on board was to present the story of my life. It was a very rough and and, and rugged version, but there was something to it, and we we worked at it so. The only difference with back then and now was I'm very used to playing in, in like, push it, uh, passing ideas in, in a band room situation. Yeah. Um, just jamming out. So whereas us now in Jetstream, we work differently. Mm. So it's a bit harder for me to give me give that input, although I try my best and, and I do give some I do give input. Um, but I've been used to bouncing ideas in a band room. And that's how the songs from Kama 13 came about. Um, I'm finding it harder now, but it's... I'm getting there. <laughs> so, and that's how Story My Life, uh, it was an idea I had ages ago and I just needed working on. I gave it to Nolan, Nolan put the melody over it and that's how it started. And it's great as well because it works out to your advantage. When you get that call, obviously, like Nolan mentioned that at the beginning you were just a session player pretty much just helping out everyone so on. But what was it like to get that initial call to help them out at the beginning? It doesn't work with calls nowadays, no? Well, what, what messages or anything? <laughs> it's the same thing. We have people know what we mean. <laughs> it, it actually came out at the right time because I just left Camera 13. Camera 13 fucked off. <laughs> basically, <laughs> it fucked off. Um, and it was basically a couple of months afterwards, no one messaged me. Listen, we're, trying, we're going to play MTV. We want to yeah, tag along. We want to full of sound or whatever. No one's idea was. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I was in three other bands, I would have just GMF, not the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with, 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 with Aaron, originally it was just, we need an extra guitarist, we're going to have Neville on keyboards, we're going to have a huge sound. Um, and that was originally the idea. But then as rehearsals came about and, and, and whatnot, I thought, 
guys, what do you guys think about we, we this? We left because it for a bit. No, see, we left it. There was a space, and I and think then, it was before we the first MPP. Yeah. We thought better that of it. We, caught, we, caught we thought better of it, and we asked them to come on board with Tristan, however. Originally, it was, look, we need you. We don't have a drummer right now. We've got a gig booked, and we need help. But I already knew I was going to take him. <laughs> yeah. he, he didn't know it, but I did. Um, and then he learned like 40 songs in the space of no time or whatever, something stupid. Um, and then, yeah, he, I've still got him changed, changed, changed down to me. <laughs> he sort of kidnapped you into yeah. getting into the band. Yeah, it, was, um, it wasn't expected. I was happy to help out for, for a few slots and then it just turned into what it is now. Mm. Um, Basically, I saw it as a challenge, to be honest, because I, know, I, I knew that they worked differently with, with a computer firing backing tracks and to playing to, to click track, and that's what helps the band sound so tight a lot of the time. And it really made me raise my game. And like I said, I learned 40 odd songs in a couple of weeks. And um, yeah. And the rest is history, as they say. Obviously, working on, on originals now is is what I think any musician wants to be doing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's fulfilling to be playing your music on on different stages, on different platforms, seeing as we've talked about Spotify. <laughs> and all the rest of it, shameless plug, find our music on Spotify, <laughs> Music, what's it called? Playing? Deezer, and it's, it's everywhere, but it's pretty much. <laughs> I trained it well. Cheap <laughs> plug. plug. We'll actually say that. Yeah. At Jetstream Official. Yeah. Yes, correct. Anyway. Problem, problem. <laughs> and obviously, Tristan, um, what I was mentioning, Sharon, you had been doing that circle for a while of performing. Joshua Rosal Shucks, obviously, Trango Matney, Shop Break, obviously, to covers. But what was the, obviously, I wouldn't say the difference because at the end of the day, this, the end goal is the same is for people to enjoy themselves. But what was it like for to be at the start of what became this boom with Casemates? Obviously, having established bands on a regular uh, on a regular scenario, uh, setting, such as Lord Nelson's, etc. So, throughout my well, throughout my, my musical career, if you want, I'd only really done done covers, both with, um, with Chris and Craig and Channel Matney. Um, we worked on originals as well. Um, a lot of things happened. A long story short, it didn't come to, to fruition, and I see that as a big shame because I think it had a lot of potential. Um, did a bit of session work after that, and then, well, just to keep yourself, you know, active, I suppose, there there wasn't at the time anything else other than playing in, in cover bands. So you did that. I got a call, and it was a call. There, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a message back then. Um, I got a call and was asked to, to join Shopbreak just to uh, have a trial. They tried a few drummers and pretty much the same thing as, as with Jetstream. They knew. They knew. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, after one rehearsal where I had learned and, and we jammed and we played, I think I organized a, a gig the following week or two kind of thing. I was confident enough in, in the band and obviously in my, my playing to be able to, to pull off a gig at Lord Nelson's. Mm -hmm. Um, which almost didn't happen because our singer Michael at the time was really, really, really little and it was touch and go and I was like, well, we had to save face. He did make it, he did, uh, he did sing that night, but under, under, under the weather kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then obviously working on original tracks now, 
I can see how fulfilling it is and how, um, um, you know, getting music out there to people and making them enjoy it, like you said, is the, the ultimate aim, kind of thing. And it seems to be happening. And it's great as well because the, the crowd are now responding and they're singing along to your songs, which you mentioned when like happened in London as well. Yeah. And obviously London, it's Belgium, anywhere that you guys have performed in, in the last year. One, uh, one thing I forgot what? about playing originals, I think I played, Melon Diesel played the fair. Um, I can't remember when it was. To answer if I recall. Yes. I could played, be wrong. You played and with I played Richard Cortez, Cortez and Irene Frio. We were called Shadow, Shadow Dreams. Dreams. Didn't you have blue hair or something like that? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually played originals. We played four originals that we that Richard had. That we one of the songs was Shadow Dreams, if I remember correctly. So I've been nice. playing originals for all that long. Justin could easily start his own podcast, I think. I still remember when I started, which was 22 years ago. And the first gig. You also, also played on that one with... Uh, with Nathan Bias. He was, I think Stu was actually playing bass that day. Yeah. And Nathan was the singer. I remember seeing Stu in that gig as well. I recall that as well, yeah. I was very young at the front. Probably yeah, one of my first ever 2000, gigs. 2000, no, yeah. That wasn't the first nineteen nine. No, they did one in the stadium, which was and huge. And before that, they did one in Coling Island. Yeah, with with, 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 with Ghost at the time. No, no, this was Reach. What if we know Reach? That's at the stadium. No, Reach was at the stadium. No, no. Why not? It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Charles will probably cut, cut back us up. Christian was playing next time. Where's him? And it's great that it all happened. We're going to play Story of My Life next. And obviously, Aaron, you mentioned the, the rough version of everything, how it, you all, guys, all of you guys worked on it together. But tell us what it's about in particular. The lyrics, I'm, I'm crap at lyrics. I can tell you what chords every song has, but not the lyrics to them. <laughs> That's one of my flaws. No one came up with the lyrics, basically. I'm crap um, as well. <laughs> You can all agree that. that, that Tristan helped me with that one, actually. <laughs> so that was a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, what it's about. But that, that's probably one of, one of the, like Aaron was saying before, we don't do a lot of jamming, we don't do a, a lot of stuff like that. But probably one of the few songs that uh, Aaron showed me, I saw the potential in the melody, I recorded something on my phone, sent it to him, he's like, yeah, and we took it to the room. And then the other parts came up from, from the other yeah. members. So it's one of the few songs that probably every member had a, a big say in. Yeah. And, cool. and it worked out to your advantage and it's got a great video clip as well on my dad. So we'll leave it at that. This is Story of My Life and of course it's by our guest Jetstream. So I hope you enjoy it. I am the boy you used to know back then When everything was easy You were the girl that said so very tall Searching for your light 
Three and I was called Story of My Life by our guest Jetstream. So we're going to speak a little bit more about the creative process. As you like, you mentioned that you guys work on songs together, especially on that one. But what is it like, Nolan, especially for you, to come up with lyrics, to come up with a melody, and even take it to the band? Is it nerve wracking even before it's taken to the room? It used to be like the first couple of, of songs that I ever wrote. Um, yeah, of course, so it'd be like, okay, this is new to me. What if the guys don't like it? I'm not. But now we're we've been together 10 years you know and comes to a stage where if I feel strongly enough about a song and I feel um, passionate enough about that song then I'll present it to the guys if they like it or not it's a different matter that yeah. doesn't that, that, that goes without saying but if I feel it's good enough I will present it and I will have no qualms um, with whatever they, they have to say you know in, in the sense that if they don't like it that's respectable and if they do like it great but um, the, the songwriting process um Works differently, you know. Stuart does it his own way. I basically just record um, my acoustic guitar and my voice. Yep. Stuart basically writes everything out on his laptop, and he presents a much fuller idea. Whereas with me, there's there's more space for input because I don't do that. I can, but I don't enjoy the process. Yeah. Um, and the guys also help out. Of course, Aaron's um, of late got it got into Logic quite a bit as well. I've, I've had to because. We don't have the time either to to go into the room and just jam because yeah. we have so many rehearsals, so many gigs, our own lives anyway. So we can't just like the old time, like go into a band and just yeah. come out with songs for hours and end. So we have to do our own time at home. So I've tried to to learn logic as much as I can, but my ideas are, made, are still guitar based. Yeah, but the melodies and that I have to pass it on. <laughs> and Justin, same thing for you. 
obviously baselines, etc. Yeah, although most of the times I do respect the ideas that come on board because that's the vision. And even though I haven't fully come up with a baseline or amend it a little bit, the cause there because that's the idea that's been presented. And in all fairness, even though I would like uh, every single band member to compose a song and bring a full idea, the reality is that we all have different ideas and different tastes in music. And what I found out is that the, the combination of Nolan and Stewart is 70% of the Jetstream sound. Yeah. And let's face it, you, you, you have to stick to your roots. You have to stick to what you, to, to the style of music you have. And even though, like uh, Queen said, that they're not a musical ghetto or whatever it is, yeah. um, too much variety, I don't think is a good thing. You have to stick to your, to your style and that's what you go forward with. And I think now we've got our sound. Yeah, which was what I was going to get to now. Every song, although different, it's still very similar at the same time. When you compare Delta Blues to maybe, I don't know, Last Goodbye, it's it's very similar, but it's very dark. But at the same time, it works. And I think that's pretty much the key, like you mentioned. But you know, it's gesture. Exactly. Definitely. If you get Nolan singing with got the beats, what the fuck's this? That's the first thing you're going to yeah. say. There's, there's something to the songs that are coming out now, which, although different, you instantly know that is Jetstream. Yeah, they all have their own identity. Yeah, that's Great. it has the Jetstream identity, yeah. and that's that's the good thing. I might not like every single idea that everybody puts through, but if it's a good idea for the band as a whole, I mean, I'm sure that every single band out there, which is famous, doesn't like every single song they do. That's 100%, but if it's the best thing for the band, <coughs> isn't that what they go with? Absolutely. Justin, obviously it's not as easy maybe for a drummer to come up with stuff like this, but obviously at home you can come up with your own ideas. Um, yeah, well, I, I see my, my position or my, my job basically to, to advise with different beats, different breakdowns of songs, etc., etc. And yeah, I think it's, it's collectively developing ideas and making the best um, product out of what gets discussed and yeah i think now we're in a very good place where as you said the the sound is definitely recognizable more recognizable than it has been in the past i think it's it's natural to to go changing and experimenting with different uh, sounds different types of music different types of producers um but we seem to have found definitely a formula that's working and every track that's being that's been released over the last year or so, you can definitely identify has a, a common theme running through it. And that's down to well, just making sure that we're all in agreement with what's what's getting recorded and, and getting tracked, you know, as well as sticking to the same kind of working methods and people that, that we're working with as well. I'd like to say that it's not just us five. Obviously, there is a um, it's the ideas come from, from mainly from Stuart and from, from Nolan. They do get developed, but there are other people that we work with that that, um, that help us out. For sure. And I don't think any band nowadays could do that without a good quality producer and a good quality studio Correct. and somebody who believes in the project as well and, and dedicates a lot of time. And Danny Shaw is one of those. Yeah. yeah. And Sam, our producer in the UK, is another one as well. So. Yeah, we've like you said, we, we we released Delta Blues, which is like a new sound for us completely. With like, yeah. oh, this is this is something different. It's Deathstream. It sounds edgy. It sounds modern. It sounds fresh. And then we released the Last Goodbye, which was kind of the same kind of thing, where like you just said, 
you put those two together and they kind of belong. Yeah. And now this Friday we will be releasing the a new remix, new edition, new version of uh, Starlight, if you like. Yeah. Um, where it will again sit within that family again. And in the not too distant future, we will be doing the same with While I Sleep, which is a, in my opinion, a very underrated song that's not received the recognition it deserves. Um, and we decided to send it through to our producer in the UK. And he's come back with a, a really, good, <coughs> a really good version that sits again in that family. And that will be released soon enough as well. Yeah, plus, sorry, plus um, we recently recorded a new song with, with Danny Faz, Tristan mentioned, called uh, Worth the Wait. Which again, no one's heard, but um, we'll sit in that family as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we've been lucky enough with Sam because it's gone like a ring to the finger. He understands the style. Yeah. So I mean, that's why the the recent release of songs sit well together. Yeah, and it's it's like it when we let's talk about it before. They all blend to one another. It's like the continuation. Like if you listen to Delta Blues, listen listen to the last goodbye. It's like a story altogether. It's, mm -hmm. It all meshes and it all works to your advantage in every sense of the word. And obviously we talked about Starlight, which was the song incidentally I was going to play next, but we, we're going to talk about it a bit more. It was, obviously you guys won the Gibraltar International Song Festival with it as well. Correct. So what was it like to initially work on that song and then even find out that you guys won a, a festival well, of that magnitude? Initially to work on the song, like I said earlier, Stuart pretty much had it nailed down. In the surprise. Yeah. yeah exactly. And we heard it and we're like, okay. It was probably the first or second song you recorded with us ever. Probably because it was a batch with While I Sleep and, and a song called Wonderland or something like that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, Stuart pretty much had it there. It was just a different key. It was too high for me to sing. So we changed the key. Stuart came back with it. We all learned the parts and, and off we went pretty much. Um, and then he was like, hey, what do you guys think about putting it in the, the Gibraltar International Song Festival? He didn't ask. He didn't ask. Oh, sorry, true, true. He, he didn't just, ask. Yeah, he just put sorry. it in just thinking, ah, nothing's going to happen. And then we got chosen for the final 10 or whatever it was. And then he asked. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't keen, to be fair. They, these guys can, can be testament to that. But <laughs> some of them were. And then obviously it was just going to be my vocal live. The other guys were going to be um, miming playback, if you like. But as a full band, it would have looked cool. That, that, I think that was one of the reasons why um, we probably went ahead, because they accommodated the band. Yeah. Because bands, up to then, I don't think bands were were ever featured and because they accommodated us and they insisted that they wanted us. Okay, let's go for it. Do you think maybe the fact that you guys obviously by then that was you guys became established very early on, but by then it's like the work the fact that you guys only had originals out there had a lot to do with that as well? Maybe like a personal decision from the actual committee? Possibly, yeah. I mean once we we committed and we said, Yeah, we're gonna do it, then everyone was in and it was a fun experience, don't get me wrong. We had we had a good time on stage. We weren't expecting to get anything off it. Um, but at the same time, like we just said, we've been working so hard with our own stuff. It was great to get a bit of recognition. Yeah. You know, songs from across the globe. And we got that. It was like, you know. We, we didn't expect it yeah. at all because looking back now, um, <laughs> me and Nola were just chatting at the back when they announced um, Best Performance or something it was. Yeah. And they had to like uh, say it twice. And none of us actually, and he said, oh, they called us. So we went up. And the same happened when they announced the winner. Stuart yeah, had to run and find us. Before that, though, when, when they announced the best performance, we thought, okay, we've got this. That's, it's like when you win Miss, Miss Friendship <laughs> at, at Mr. Gibraltar. 
You're not going to win Mr. Walter. But um, I'm just saying what people think. Anyway, so we just thought this is it. And then suddenly, okay, it was just a, a surprise, even more so when they, they named Stuart as the, because Stuart was the composer, they named him as the winner, not just Dream. So, like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then just Stuart just. Ran up, the ran up the step and we all followed him but we didn't know what it was I think it was a very awkward celebration but once it actually sunk in and you got the trophy it was like oh my god we won it was an awkward celebration in a good way <laughs> in a very good yeah way. yeah in a very good way at the end of the day, it works out to your advantage. So we're going to play Star Eyes. Obviously, we're going to play the, the the version that you guys won with, and obviously we'll, we'll play the final song of this. We'll play the, the remastered version eventually on the show, but for now we're going to play the the actual original version of the song. So this is Starlight's award-winning winner at the 2017 Jules International Song Festival. Hope you enjoy it, guys.
And we're back with part four. And of course, that was Starlights by Jetstream. We're going to start with a very simple question for part four, at least. We're going to ask Tristan this question. What is it like to transition more than anything else? Obviously, you get to become more familiar with that line of music. Obviously, you mentioned the facts with Short Break, you were doing covers, and then to go back to originals. Was it a very hard transition? Not particularly, because obviously, um, in terms of my, my music and instrument, there's um, obviously there's the different dynamic that you can use, and it's it's been kind of honing your skills to what what uh, the sound kind of sounds like now, and it and it does take a while. Not difficult because I mean, um, just obviously practice makes perfect, yeah. and um, and that's why we spend a lot of time working on songs and I think it has to be said that we spend uh, personally at home and in, in the band room a lot of time goes into this and I feel that that needs to get a lot of recognition. Musicians are often seen just for for half an hour on a stage or an hour on a stage right. and the amount of work that goes into it is, um, is sometimes um, overlooked. The amount of people that you work with throughout the experience that you gain from working with so many different people and you know people that you look up to people that you hear um, on a regular basis and and it all kind of gels and then eventually you you come up perhaps with your own sound and so yeah it in terms of <coughs> changing uh, to, to to adapt to to the jet stream sound it's not a difficult thing because the, the process has happened, um, I suppose, very naturally and as a result of, of, of hard work, to be honest. That's, yeah, I think that going on with what Tristan's saying, it gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. People just say, oh, they're playing with Top Loader, they're doing this festival. Yeah, it's fantastic. But they don't realise that behind the scenes, Stuart's sending hundreds of emails a day, Aaron's doing that on the Spanish side. Tristan trying to get gigs here and there because we have to fund these things as well. Logistics. Justin's making suggestions for set lists. What do we do? What can we do with this song? How can we interact with the crowd? Whatever it is. There's a lot of hard work that goes in that people don't see that. So nothing's gifted. Yeah. Everything's hard work and achievements, if you like, because we put in the hard work. That's true. And that goes with, with, with anything. You know, if you want to great get a great body, you need to put in the hours and you need to diet and you need this is the same. There's a formula to it, and you just have to so work you have hard. To be a great musician, a great band, and I've got a great body as well. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It all goes hand in hand. I'm a Buddha, perhaps. Sometimes you can't find that. Great musician, you don't need a great body. But you, you struck upon goals, though, because I don't think people, like you mentioned, it gets overlooked as well that the times that you get home from rehearsing, etc., especially when you've been working maybe 95, or in Aaron's case, not, maybe not 95, but obviously then you've got your family life as well in between. And yeah. like yeah. to juggle, juggle that, it must be, I, I, can, I juggle myself, so I can imagine how hard that can be, but I can imagine for you guys it's extra the stress as well. Yeah, it's what, it's what a good stress. It's not easy just getting on stage and, and playing the 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah. That's all the hours we put in rehearsal at home as well. We, we rehearse at home because we cannot spend as much time in band rehearsal. Plus, getting to London, getting to the place, playing, coming back home, then get with your family again, work the next day. It is very hard, but... And it's, it's not just a question of getting to London and performing. Like, 
Stuart is a master at it. Anytime we perform at a gig, he's constantly talking to people, yeah. whether it's from other bands or band managers or whatever it is, he's constantly making a connection of sorts. Yeah. And that works hugely in our favor because then we can always go back to these people and have a chat with them. And you never know, you could yeah. strike a great relationship and end up with another gig. So yeah, there's a lot of work in there for sure. And one of the highlights, like from me last trip from, you went to London, obviously backing uh, Top Load and, and many other bands as well, but obviously you went to BBC Radio London and obviously those experiences is like a win-win for the band because at the end of the day, BBC Radio London, even though it's very local based, it can be heard around the entire world pretty much. I mean, let's face it, London's not Gibraltar. Exactly. For 30,000 people to, I don't know what, 6 million people in the capital, that I wouldn't call local. But again, <laughs> no, but the radio station, at least, well, is very local-based. Same two words, hard work. Because of what we've been doing, going there, back and forth to London, somewhere along the line, someone catches drift of Jetstream, we get a call to perform at BBC Radio London, which was, like, mind-blowing. It's like, hang on, how's this happening? But... At the end of the day, it's just hard work. The same with the top loader gig. Yeah. Hard work, hard work, you get the gig. Now we've got um, a couple of festivals coming up, one uh, supporting the feeling. Yeah, which um, have actually also come to Gibraltar in the past. Yeah, in, in, then we, we've got the Lecklade one and the Jurassic Fields one. And, and uh, a few more yet to be, that's not yet confirmed, but a few more yet to be confirmed um, amongst just other gigs like in Toledo and Belgium yep. and stuff that, that we have confirmed very shortly um, ago. Um, so yeah, just constantly working hard, yeah. trying to attain more and achieve more. And at the same time, he was in the room, was it last week or the week before, laying drums on a new track. So in between everything, that all the chaos, if you like, yeah. we're writing new songs and we're recording with Danny Fat and we're constantly doing something. So yeah. Behind the scenes. And keeping up to date with social media as well, like interacting with social media, obviously with yes. the fan base, etc. as well. Stuart's a monster for those things. He's, yeah. just, he's just constantly on it. He's very good. And it works in every sense of the word, as I say. And when you talk about, you mentioned obviously the recording, and obviously does it make you more aware as to maybe the professional aspects of becoming a musician, even though you guys do it part-time, I want to say, but at the same time it's more like full-time than anything else because you're always on the ball, you're always doing something. And I just say, and I said this to Stuart a few years ago, that you guys are the master of intrigue because you actually say that you're going to promote something or, and then when it's, you don't really launch it until it's ready. And then it's like, boom, here you go. You know, it's like magic happens in every sense of the word. Nowadays, you want to get to gigs, you want to get people to, to listen to you or to see you. You have to be professional. Yeah. So even the website, even Facebook. Has it's to the little things. Like, it's, totally agree, yeah. songs, it's not only the songs, it's everything that goes around. The image is what the sells. Image as well. yeah. We spend a lot of time with image. Uh, and it's everything. That's the way you conduct yourself on stage. On and off stage, and you know? Stage is very important. A, like now we're having a relaxed interview, it's fine. You, you can have your relaxed moments, you can mess about and... But then when, when you want to put a message across, like I've done about the gigs and about seriously mm. we take it, and you have to put that across. At the same time, it's always important, and I've said this in many interviews before, to have fun whilst you're doing all of this. Yeah. Yes, there's that business side to it, if you like, where you have to take it seriously, but always remember that it has to be fun as well. The moment it becomes too serious <laughs> and, you it's, no, it and it's no longer fun, then yeah, you're doing something wrong. Like what? <laughs> exactly. I think that when we have fun is those 32 to an hour minutes that we are on stage that's mm. when we have the fun but the hours after that that's when we have to work hard and it's not it's not that yeah. fun when you're sending emails and talking to people and all that yeah, we have to do it. Yeah, and I think the bonus that, that with you guys is at least like everything's a win. You know, like if, like if you get the top loader gig, or even like you mentioned the festival in the UK with the feeling, or anything else that you're going to do, 
it's all a win-win, you know, but no matter who achieves it for the band, it's actually a win-win, you know, and I think it's it's a better accolade, like, if, I don't know, for example, you like, we're going to have MTV Jibbles calling coming up, if you get calls for that, for example, that's a win, if anything's a win, if the single gets maybe a thousand plays, that's a win, you know, it's it all works out, you know, it's all a win, it's a team effort at the end of the day. So it's about making the numbers bigger, bigger. No? To, towards, you know, that, that milestone that you set yourself, that target that you set yourself. I mean, sometimes it's the milestone, the smallest of milestones that make it grand, I guess I say. Make the numbers bigger. Yeah. And obviously with Spotify and other things like that, and like other musical platforms, it all works out. So we're going to play Dulcet Blues. And obviously we're going to play the last song after this and we'll see talk, talk about your future after this. We're going to take you way down in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy guys. Yeah. 
And we're back with the fifth and final part. And obviously we're going to play one more track, but we're going to talk a little bit easier, a, a bit of an easier subject. What's the future look, looking like for Jetstream at the moment? Aside from the festivals, obviously the behind the scenes stuff as well. The future's bright, the future's orange. <laughs> <laughs> Justin just sums it up in one word. I'm sorry, no, no. <laughs> Um, I, I think that whatever comes our way, I think we're, we're not going to shy away from. In in the sense of, in, in the sense that we'll try and get as many shows to to perform our music, um, and you know, the more the more the merrier, kind of thing. As long as we we can make it, and we're not double or triple booked or whatever, you know, which would be a nice problem to have. Of course, yes, of course. Um, we'll try and make. Um, every every venue a reality, you know, or every every stage a reality, every show a reality. That's that's one of I think one of our main goals. Obviously, continuously releasing music as well. There's a lot of work, as we've been saying, behind the scenes, recording new material, and it's it's starting to to pull together and it's starting to build up, which yeah. would be great to be able to stagger releases and try and keep interest going and. I think that's really important for bands out there as well. Don't just try and ride the wave from one or two singles. You've got to keep on plugging away and pushing yeah. away. And that's what any band that's emerging that needs, you know, that, that wants to try and, and get there uh, needs to do that. You know, just have and another one and another one and it's relentless and it has to be relentless. And it has to be said that that's where a lot of the work goes into preparing and, and making sure that we have enough in the tank kind of thing, enough in the yeah. pipeline, down the pipeline to, to basically to release it when when we need to. Yeah. Um, and with all these new tracks that you're recording, is there plans for full-length album? We don't know. I mean, we're, we're recording, we're enjoying it. We're releasing the stuff that we feel is fit as, as a single. And if after releasing, I don't know, five, six, seven songs, we feel that maybe it deserves, maybe we deserve it as a band or whatever oh, ourselves, yeah. by all means, if it feels right, then we'll do it. At, at the moment, we're not thinking long term like that yeah at the moment I think it's quick fire yeah. quick fire song release song release song release yeah. to the point that people get sick of hearing you yeah. and it's, it's the same thing with true. the music videos as well no, not about sick but like <laughs> shove it in their faces constantly and not, yeah. not let them forget who Jetstream are because I think we're in a, it's like Tristan said it's, it's about going forward and personally I think there's this feeling yeah. that you get that something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but you, I, I've got that feeling now more than ever. Yeah, and obviously the music video says the same thing. Obviously, you record the track, obviously there's always going to be a music video accompanying it. Obviously, uh, Jim Crone is very an expert at that. And obviously, I saw that when F5 and Triangle back in 2014, believe it or not. Yeah. A long time ago. And obviously, you see the hard work. That's when I realised the hard work that goes into it. Obviously, you can, I, I'm relatively... I want to say a newbie into that sort of thing, because at the same time, you it's not just about getting a camera shoved in your face and recording. It's, there's also, like, when you have to do the movements and um, do this because it'll look better on camera or so, anything, you know, the direction. And play the song 50 times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the only, the Triangle is the only Jetstream song I know for that particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a lot of things that are happening, and obviously we couldn't be ha happier, really, pretty much, not just yet the GLS, I dare say, the Gibraltar crowd in particular, because obviously now we get more people going to see you guys even abroad and and everything else. Obviously, more things are happening. Which let me point out, now that you said that, we are endlessly devoted and enamored and grateful to the, those guys who spend their own money 
yeah. to come from <coughs> Gibraltar or Belgium or France yeah. or wherever it is. We were lucky to have friends across all, all yeah, they're, they're not everywhere. Friends, they're, they're friends, and there are friends who decide to come and join us and join yeah. that celebration, that, that music festival, if you like, of, of what it is seeing Jetstream. And we're eternally grateful for that. I mean, those, those guys deserve a lot of credit. And I know it sounds cliche, but we'd be nothing without them because... Yeah, so, I mean, they, shout they, out to they, shout they, out to them now. Yeah, yeah. shout, shout out, out to those guys. Uh, definitely, I mean, um, I mean, if we ever, I mean, they're part of family, and I don't know, maybe they're uh, the killers got the the killers. No, what do you call them? The victims. Well, no, they're streamers. Yeah. Jet streamers. <laughs> they're, we're the jets, they're the jet, streamers. Jet, jet streamers. <laughs> <laughs> but it all works out to your answer, John. We saw that at the 100 Club. It was something, I, I just say that, well, at least for me, it was a very intimate gig in every sense of the word. You know, it was like being at, in a large rock on the rock, if that's the right sense to use even. But that's pretty much what it felt like to me because there were so many Gibraltarians, yeah. not just the ones that were based in London, but even the ones that did fly to London for that particular gig. It was a win-win for the Gibraltar music scene and it was a win for all of you that took part as well. So... We we'll leave it at that, and it was a great story and a great night altogether, and obviously something that we're all very proud of, I dare say, including myself. So we're going to play the last goodbye, which is the last song, and obviously we look forward to playing more tracks in the future. We I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show. Obviously Stu couldn't make it, but obviously we'll try and get him on somehow, one way or another. But obviously, like we talked about before, that like obviously sometimes your job does get in the way and mm-hmm. everything else, and then that's what people may, may have to realise a little bit more. And more than anything else, once we always finish, we always say you have to go out there and support local music because when you do, you're keeping local music alive. And I don't think there's a better testament than that because like, you mentioned that like the legions of fans that do go over to see you guys, without that, they're, they're keeping the Jets alive. So, Correct. So, we want more. And we want more indeed. <laughs> we want more. But we'll, we're, we're going to work on something. I'll, I'll bring up that idea off camera, but off camera, off air. But we'll, <laughs> no cameras here, thank, thankfully enough. Barry, anyway, guys, thank you for your time. Thank you for your input and obviously for the stories. Thank you. It's a great honour altogether. GLMS's kind of um, you know, unwavered support as well um, through throughout the, the years that you've kind of basically revamped and reworked and rejigged um, the GLMS. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, it has to be said that you do put in the hours as well yourself. So. It's all about, it's like we talked about, like obviously you mentioned it with your dad, and obviously Justin mentioned it with his dad. It's all because of that, you know, if it wasn't for those people like your dad, and obviously with Beppe and Norman, and obviously my dad, I don't think there is a local music scene. Obviously, we have to thank the yesterday of local music because there, there wouldn't be a scene today. And I, let's just leave it at that. I think we could dedicate an entire episode to local music legends. We're going to have two coming up very soon, which we're looking very much forward to in the near future. So, guys, again, thank you very much. We'll be back in two weeks with our next guest. And obviously we will tease us to who our guest will be in two weeks' time. But till then, thank you so much to all of you who do listen to the show. You can subscribe and everything else. We got 100 downloads on our last episode, which we're very proud of. And obviously we continue, obviously, with more interviews. It's very intimate for us to get to know musicians this way. So thank you to all of you who do check out the podcast. Until then, support local music, because when you do, you're keeping local music live. Take care, guys. We'll be back in two weeks. Niska.
Show me a sign.